Our first reading is from Isaiah chapter 52. It's beautiful words. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. And Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good evening, everyone. Lovely to be here with you tonight. Thank you for making the trip in on a hot and rainy and windy and who knows what other weather day it was today. Um, it's fantastic to be with you tonight. Uh, our passage tonight is such an amazing text. I mean, we're talking about the birth of Jesus and the shepherds and the angels, but I mean, we've already heard this text already, this Advent alone. And so it lends itself to being put in the box in our minds of, well, I've heard this story, and I know everything there is to know about this story, and I feel that way about it too. I mean, we read this passage, passage a few times every Advent, and we're going to hear it again 
next week as we trace the birth narrative of Jesus to celebrate together God coming to be with his people, to rescue them. And so since this passage is quite familiar to many of us, I wanted to try and come at it from a different angle. I wanted to talk about the nature of a big announcement. Now, I love a big announcement. The build-up, the suspense, the surprise of what, what it could be. Now, sometimes these have so much hype around them that you, you have to watch it live. It's not enough to hear from a friend in a couple of hours or to read about it a few days later. Our age of technology has enabled us to see everything in real time. Now, I remember being at a mate's place for a sleepover. I was 10 years old, and it was the morning of September 24th, 1993. At about 4 a.m., we were up watching the TV, desperate to find out if the Olympics were coming to Sydney. An announcement that changed the lives of many people. It definitely changed the way I sat my HSC that year with the Olympics as a backdrop and lots of things to go and do whilst not studying. But I remember so clearly the anticipation and the excitement of being able to watch it live and the joy of news that was so positive, which for a 10-year-old who was and still is admittedly sports mad. Now, this passage in Luke 2, whilst familiar, has me thinking about announcements that bring with it major life changes. But unlike an announcement of which city hosts the Olympics, I'm thinking about an announcement that will change the whole world. And we find ourselves in our current series, Let Light Shine Out of the Darkness, at a passage that arguably has the most light. But light is not the focus of the passage. Rather, we receive the best news that has ever been given. So today we're going to look at this passage, and I'd love for us to ponder the nature of this announcement and why it changes the entire world. So firstly, we'll look at the reason for the announcement, the birth of Jesus. Secondly, we'll look at the great announcement and ask, well, why these shepherds? Why are they the ones that hear the news? And lastly, we'll look at what the shepherds did with the news and then what we should do as well. And if this is the first time that you've heard this story, then know that it is more than fiction. I invite you to read it closely and to hear the words of the angel proclaiming the birth of the Messiah. This is the true basis of Christmas, of God coming into the world as a child. And what we'll see in this passage are two things that we'll come back to at the end that God uses unremarkable people to do remarkable things and that the example that the shepherds give is worth following today. So firstly, the reason for the announcement. Now, a big announcement is always given because something has happened that needs to be shared. This passage contains the best and most important news that you will ever hear. God has come to earth to redeem his people. And we've been hearing pieces of this news over the past couple of weeks, and we'll hear in greater detail next week more of this news. But the first part of our passage about the details of the birth of Jesus are pretty light. I mean, the entire birth narrative takes two verses. Verses 6 and 7 tell us this. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, I've read the kids' Bible version of this story, and it is significantly longer. 
There's no story here of going from inn to inn and being told that there's no room. We aren't told that they have found the last possible room in all of Bethlehem. It's described far more simply than that. The time had come for the baby to be born, and the baby was born. What is clearly shown is that the baby was born into very humble beginnings, wrapped in cloths and laid into what was probably an empty feeding trough. I mean, there is nothing remarkable about this birth at all. Now, that isn't to detract from the significant event that this is. There have not been many, if any, more important moments in human history with the death and resurrection of Jesus in that same conversation. What is stated here is simply that a baby was born without issue or complication. There was nothing here that would make it different to any other baby born at that time, with some pretty significant exceptions. Mary has already been told by an angel in chapter 1 that this baby will be the son of God, the son of the Most High, and he will reign over all of Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So a little different to every other baby born at that time. And the poet John Donne describes Mary carrying around the baby Jesus within her still as immensity cloistered within thy dear womb. And this is no ordinary baby. Mary's also instructed to name the baby Jesus, which she dutifully does in verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Now, all of that probably sounds like the same old Christmas story that you hear every year. But if you stop and truly think about what's being described here, the events of this night over 2,000 years ago, you'd begin to feel the weight of what is being shown to you. God is entering our world as a human child. The long-promised Messiah that Israel has been waiting hundreds of years for has now arrived. God has been faithful to his promise to send the one who would save them. And we've heard over the last few weeks many of the passages that foretold Jesus' arrival. We heard it in Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And we heard it in Micah chapter 5. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans out of Judah, from you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. This baby... This child is the one the prophet spoke of. Mary is told in specific detail in chapter 1 that this child is the Holy One promised. He will rule over all Israel. And this is the biggest announcement that all of Israel has been longing to hear, that God has remained faithful to his promise and has sent the one who will rescue them and be their king. Now, the waiting for this announcement must have been a painful experience. 
For a nation that first heard this promise from God, they then went into exile and they were oppressed at the hands of multiple nations and then returned back to their land, but only as a remnant of what they were under David and Solomon. And now we find them here under Roman rule. They're in their land, but they're not a nation that stands alone. And I imagine many in Israel had given up hope that the Messiah would come. If God was going to send a king, surely it would have happened by now. Why wait until after they were taken from their land? Why wait for them to be under Roman rule, which is arguably the largest and strongest empire in human history? But that's exactly when God decides to intervene into human history. At that exact moment, when Israel is weak and under Roman rule, God entered our world in the form of a child to usher in the kingdom of God. For to us, a child is born. Jesus, God incarnate, is born into the world in the most humble of circumstances, into what seems to be poverty, completely subverting what the expectations are for the future king of Israel. This baby will have the government on his shoulders? He will reign on David's throne? Well, yes, he will, but not in the way that many expected him to. Luke then moves us on quite quickly to the great announcement. Now, my wife and my mother-in-law are both followers of the royal family. And I remember only a couple of days after Nora, our eldest daughter, was born, we were still in the hospital, and the wedding of Meghan and Harry was on TV. Now, this needed to be watched. Now, I find it all quite fascinating. I like the pomp and ceremony of it all, and I'm, I love how prestigious it all looks and feels. I mean, their, their lives are followed by so many people, and there's an importance placed on them. And the large things that happen in their lives, they get celebrated. Now, do you remember seeing any of the birth announcements for Will and Kate's kids? Now, I remember watching the announcement for baby George. The news had told us all that Kate was in labor, and she'd been rushed off to hospital. The world waited on the edge of their seats with bated breath to find out not only if she'd had a boy or a girl, but what the name was. Crowds gathered outside of Buckingham Palace, and our TVs were filled with these shots of people gathered at the gates from helicopters, people waiting to hear the news. And they placed this large gold easel in the courtyard behind the gates, and they brought out a framed notice, and they placed it on the easel, and it said, a baby has been born and all is well. And then the camera shifted to the street outside the hospital where the real action had taken place. And a man came out wearing what I can only describe as a town crier outfit. And he stands in front of everyone and he rings his bell and he gets ready to make the most important announcement he's ever going to make. He pronounces the birth of a future king. And then he rings the bell again for good measure. Now that is a great announcement done well. There's significant build-up, there's an unveiling of sorts, and over the next few days you find out more of the details. The name of the child, how the mother is, you get to see the baby. An announcement worthy of a future king of the United Kingdom, shared with millions instantly around the world. And it's hard to imagine that these sorts of events could go unnoticed in our current age. But that's not the scene that we witness here in Luke 2. It's not an announcement that is heard by many, but by a few. 
It carries significant weight, but it's only recorded in Luke's gospel. You could almost say that this is a failure of communicating news that would change the world. It would be like if the Prime Minister of Australia was going to announce that he was eliminating taxes forever and that everybody in Australia was being gifted a new house, but he only told the night cleaner at a pub in Lightning Ridge. What? That's not how you make that announcement. That's not the person you tell the news to. But let's get to the announcement. Now, let's set the scene a little bit. This is how I imagine it. We're introduced to the shepherds in a field at night. Let's say they're sitting around a campfire. The sheep are around nearby because, you know, they don't have fences, so the sheep are sleeping. And they're just keeping a watch for predators. And they're probably doing what we do around a campfire. They're telling stories, they're making dinner. They're just enjoying the warmth of the fire. It's peaceful. It's calm and quiet. Suddenly, an angel appears and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And I imagine it would have been like when you've been in a long, dark tunnel and you suddenly burst out into the light of day. It takes your eyes a little while to adjust to see what's in front of you. The shepherds see the angel with this immense light and the presence of God and rightfully, they are terrified. And then the angel speaks. Here's what he says. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I mean, that is a big claim. But that's exactly what this news will do. The Messiah, the Lord, has been born in Bethlehem, but not only that, they can go and see this child and know who he is by how he's wearing cloths and lying in a manger. And then a great number of angels all appear praising God, and I long for the day when I get to see a great company of angels praising God. And they sing this, they sing, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And then I imagine as suddenly as they appear, they're gone. And that's it. The greatest news that the world will ever hear has been delivered in two sentences with a brief musical interlude to close and the angels depart. The Messiah who has come to save Israel, to save the world, has been born. He is in Bethlehem, wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And the recipients of these, the news, the shepherds, must have been stunned into silence. What just happened? Is the news true? Has the Messiah really been born? And we have questions at this point too, right? Why are these shepherds, who are nobodies, the ones to hear this news? I mean, why didn't the angels tell someone important? Why didn't they tell the chief priest? Why didn't they make the announcement in the temple? Well, God has chosen these unremarkable shepherds to be the ones to hear this announcement. These men of common status are the first ones to hear the news of the Messiah. And they aren't special. They aren't of noble birth. In fact, we're told very little about them. What we are told is what they do next. And what they do next is very, very important. So the shepherds do three things 
after receiving the news. Firstly, they go to Bethlehem to confirm that the Messiah really has been born. Verse 15 says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, there are a few things going on here. It's the middle of the night, and they decide on the back of seeing these angels that they just need to go and see if it's true. They are a part of generations of Israelites who have waited for this moment, so understandably, they need to go and confirm that it is indeed true. Needless to say, I think at that moment, they abandon their duties as shepherds and leave their flocks to go to Bethlehem. Now, Luke doesn't tell us how long it takes them to travel there or how long they search in Bethlehem to find Mary and Joseph. But verse 16 tells us they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. But they now have the confirmation they were seeking. The Messiah has indeed been born. The angel declared it. And they've confirmed it by finding the baby as they were told he would be. And the joy they must have felt in that moment would have been overwhelming. Centuries of waiting is over. Now, I know what it's like to be told that a baby is coming in eight months and having to wait eight months to meet the child. What they are experiencing in this moment is the culmination of generations of their ancestors longing and praying and hoping that this person would arrive, and now they see it right in front of their very eyes. Which leads us to the second thing that they do. They tell everyone about it. Verses 17 and 18, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. I mean, the shepherds can't help themselves. They have to tell everyone. And you can imagine what it feels like, because we all do that too. When something great happens in our lives, we tell people. We share our good news so that we can celebrate with others, because it's no fun keeping it to ourselves. What's remarkable here is that we are witnessing the first human evangelists. These shepherds are the first people to tell the world the good news of Jesus' birth. Again, completely unexpected that these unremarkable shepherds would have that responsibility. But the news is so good, they have to tell everyone. And everyone who hears the news is amazed, and rightfully so. The news of the Messiah being born is amazing news. And thirdly, they praise God. Verse 20 tells us that the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You see, God has been faithful to his promise and the whole world has changed. And hopefully, once the shepherds returned, their flocks are still safe and sound as well. And with that, the birth narrative in Luke is complete. We don't see the wise men in this gospel. We're left with this picture of a royal birth announcement being given only to these shepherds and the responsibility of the news being shared and spread relies on them telling other people and those people telling other people and so on and so forth. And we know from other gospel accounts that the news eventually does reach King Herod and the wise men. So I think they've done a half-decent job of spreading the good news. So it leads me to ask, what are we to do 
with this news? Well, if this is the first time you have heard this account of the birth of Jesus, your first time realizing that there's something more to Christmas than what our culture puts forward, then praise God. You have seen in these verses the beginning of the Christian faith, the birth of Jesus, who has died to save you. You have met the God who made you, who made everything. Now here he is, lying in cloths, in a manger. But there's much more to the story than just these beginning verses. And if you already know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then the obvious answer is to be in awe of God and to take joy in the fact that he sent Jesus to rescue the world and all of humanity. But I think there's a really practical outworking for us here if we follow the shepherd's example. So the sequence of action of the shepherds is confirm the news, share the news, and praise God because of what he has done. And that's exactly the process that we should follow in our own lives. And if you're already a Christian, then the first part of it is already taken care of. You've already confirmed the news that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came to earth as a man and he died on the cross to take away your sins, to bring you into a right relationship with him. And further to that, he rose from the dead clearing the way for our own resurrection on the last day, when we will stand before God as pure and blameless sons and daughters to spend eternity with him. I can't wait for that day. But do we follow the sequence like the shepherds did? Do we think that this is really the greatest news that you could possibly receive? Is it important enough to tell everyone that you know? Well, of course it is. But we don't always treat it that way. Too often we find ourselves in a situation where there's an opening to talk about our faith, to talk about Jesus, and we back away. We don't want to be that person. Or we tell ourselves that we don't have the gifting to be an evangelist, and we decide that we need to leave those conversations to others rather than putting ourselves out there. So what will it take to put yourself out there and share this incredible news. What needs to happen to risk your standing with your friends, your family and your co-workers to tell them about the good news of the birth of Jesus? And Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship and that means that in all that we think all that we do, all that we say, it's all for the glory of God. And that definitely includes sharing the good news about the birth of Jesus with those who don't know him yet. So I've got a challenge for us. We are all unremarkable people, and I mean that in the most sincere way possible. There is nothing about us that stands us apart from the rest of the population. Nothing about us that makes us better or worse as a people. We aren't all gifted evangelists, that much is true. But God has given us the greatest gift, the greatest news that you could ever receive. And we are in a position to share it with those in our lives now. So don't wait. Don't decide this isn't the right time. Don't think you'll just do it later. Maybe invite someone 
to one of our Christmas services next weekend, or if it's going to be too confronting for them to come into a building such as this, or if they're COVID hesitant, maybe invite them to come watch a live stream of one of the services. But don't hide this news. It's too important. It's too wonderful. It's too life-changing to keep to ourselves. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Pray that God will be opening the hearts of those who we love, who don't know him yet. And pray that this Christmas may be the time that he reveals himself to them so they can come into relationship with him. And finally, we praise God. The Messiah has been born and we know that news to be true. And so we as the shepherds did glorify and praise God for his faithfulness in keeping his promises. God has given to us unremarkable people the most remarkable task of sharing the good news of God living with his people to save them. So let's follow the shepherd's example. Confirm the news. Tell everyone about it. And praise God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus and we thank you that at this time of year we remember and we celebrate Jesus' birth, his arrival with us to save us. Lord, we pray for those in our lives who don't yet know you. Lord, we pray that we will be able to have a conversation, that you'll give us an opportunity to do that, that you'll give us the strength and the courage to have an awkward conversation if that's what's required. Lord, we pray for opportunities this week we pray that your name will be glorified by all who hear this story. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.